Watson Games. This is Colin from Minnesota Metal Band Celestial Drift. You're rocking Attitude Era Live with my guy, the Icon. Business startups, business litigation, criminal defense, family matters, and contract writing and review. More information is available by calling 1-866-933-4544 or on the website at joeirbylaw.com. That's J-O-E-I-R-B-Y-L-A-W.com. The Joe Irby Law Firm, where we take sides. Yours. <coughs> You're listening to 89.1, Ken's FM, KNMV, Holly Fargo-Moorhead. Independent Public Radio for Fargo-Moorhead and the Valley. Also on the web at www.kensfm.com. Our theme song's not playing. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Attitude Era Live, and we are live on the air with you here. Attitude Era Monday, live Monday, every Monday night. On 89.1 Ken's FM, our, it would be Lucifer, I do believe. Our theme song, once again, is missing, but we will get that worked out and fixed. Should be in rotation. But uh, I believe we have uh, the modern nightmare Matthias here with us. How are you, sir? Well, after another long work week and a great weekend worth of wrestling, I'm back here on another Monday night to do another great radio show. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to uh, hit things right away. Uh, maybe. <laughs> are you are you hooked in? Uh, yeah, I'm yeah, I'm I'm ready. Okay. Uh, um, I haven't got this set up yet. <laughs> oh, that's right. Don't worry about. It. We'll ju- we'll just move on to the uh, interview, ladies and gentlemen. Stepping out of the green room, walking down the aisle, weighing in at his design weight. He is a legend in the wrestling business, ladies and gentlemen. I give you Andrew Anderson. Hey, this is the reinforcer, Andrew Anderson, baby, and you're listening to the Attitude Era Monday, Live Monday and uh, on Ken 89.1, 89.1, Ken's FM with your host, the icon, the big swing, the godmother of wrestling, Granny Hulkster. Who the hell is Granny Hulkster? And the modern nightmare Matthias, I won't offend him because he's on right now, pronounced ma ass How's that, baby? All right. Well, you got to keep uh, you got to keep it PG though for us, buddy, because uh, no, that was have okay. A... That was Matthias. I just okay, extended there you go. a little, but all right, that's fine. How you guys uh, doing? Anyway, well, we're doing pretty good. Good to have you with us tonight. How's it going tonight? Oh, it's pretty good. I just came back from uh, um, a six and a half hour drive from uh, from uh, New Hampshire, where uh, I was up doing the the, the New England uh, radio uh, ra- uh, record and toy show with uh, Mr. USA Tony Atlas. It was a pretty cool time, you know. Did you, so, yeah. did you have a match out there or what? No, I actually had a match on Friday night for Warrior Professional Wrestling in Dover, New Jersey, where I, I actually dropped the Tri-State Heavyweight title to Captain Payne with a little bit of inter- interference from uh, a young kid uh, who I trained, beautiful buddy Thomas. And, uh, you know, it was, it was time to pass the torch, so it was kind of well long-deserved. You know, I've been in this business for 29 years, and Captain Payne's been in for about, you know, a good three three years. So, you know, but he, he was he's a good guy. He's another one of my protégés, and, you know, and uh, I'm so, I'm sort of winding things down to a degree, and then I drove from from there to Philadelphia Airport, picked somebody up, drove from Philadelphia Airport all the way to New Hampshire, and then uh, from New Hampshire uh, we drove through a snowstorm on uh, Saturday, 
it was a, a blizzard, blizzard-like conditions, and uh, unfortunately, I didn't get to do the convention on Saturday. Tony was up there because Tony lives up in uh, Auburn, Maine, so he only had like a half-hour ride. But um, I wound up doing the convention all day on Sunday, which was a better crowd anyway. I heard it was a washout, but on Saturday, because the they had like 18 inches of snow, so. But it was pretty cool. It's always good to hang out with Tony. I, I, when I broke into the business, Tony was already, you know, you know, 25, 30 years in the business, you know. So. <clears throat> well, you, you yourself, you know? you've had a you you've had a long career yourself. Uh, you started uh, back in. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. 1993 was it? 1993, Yep. 1992. Actually, I started off uh, carrying Jimmy Snooker's bags. You know that. Well, you know, I'll tell you Started what, up. everybody's got to start somewhere. Oh, it was great. Listen to me. When I walked, I, I was in a bar in 1991, and Jimmy Snooker and the metal maniac Jeff Miller walked in. And Jimmy looked at me and goes, brother, I want to talk to you. And from there, I, I said this on many interviews. It was just um, it was just great. I just became tight with him and, 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 and Jeff, and uh, I really got close with Jimmy. And then I had some impromptu matches when somebody didn't show up. Jimmy just said, just let me pick you up. He showed me how to post. He showed me how to get slammed. And then he'd climb up and do just a jump off the, uh, he'd do the flying headbutt because I wasn't ready for the splash. And then all of a sudden I went and got trained by uh, an East Coast professional wrestling by Gino Caruso, the Kodiak Bear, Jimmy himself. And uh, eventually, you know, they threw me in when Boris Zukov retired. They threw me in with Nikolai Volkov as a tag team on the Indies uh, when, when the Bolsheviks went on to the Indies. And uh, and uh, this is before his nickel and dime Volkov routine with Ted DiBiase in the WWE. I did the tag team with him as the new Bolsheviks, and I was a Siberian Tiger back then when I started. So it was pretty cool to cut your teeth uh, wrestling with a legend like Nikolai. Of course, Nikolai never liked the bumps, so I'd do all the bumps, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you pay your dues somehow in the business, right? Well, you know, I'll tell you. Back when uh, he was doing the nickel and dime thing, I thought that was I thought that was disrespectful to him. I don't know how you feel about it. I don't know how he felt about well, it. Well, it was. But, uh, it was. I, I actually would talk about it later. But they used to bust on him for being cheap. You know, all these years. And I, I got to tell you, Nikolai was very, very uh, thrifty. I never called him cheap. Would never call him cheap out of respect for him. You know, I love him. I love I love his wife Lynn. You know, and I love his uh, his adopted son, Andy. You know, I, I love the whole family and his daughters and everything. You know, he's a great guy, and uh, he was a great guy, and he was a really good friend, and he took care of me, man. And, uh, you know, they took took that – they took the idea of his thriftiness and turned it into uh, to a gimmick with Ted DiBiase. That was one of the, the – it was kind of like a dig to him, sort of like, like Dusty Rhodes doing the American Dream, the, 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 the gimmick with the polka dots in the WWE. It was sort of a dig, you know. But you know, like he right. took that and made 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 applesauce out of rotten apples. You know what I mean? You know, Nikolai did the right. same thing too. He pulled it off. You know, he didn't. He it was no. Listen to Nikolai it was a payoff. You know, and it was another run. And, and uh, you know, being billed as six foot two, three hundred ninety six <clears throat> pounds, uh, you know, you're you're no you're no small guy in the ring. Well, you know, I'm not, been I'm through... not 300, 396 pounds, man. I, I don't know where the hell you heard that. Somebody was ribbing me by writing that change. I got my Wikipedia shit changed like 50 times. Somebody's been ribbing me on that. Putting all these PG, fake, PG, fake, uh... PG. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry. You got to bleep that out. I had my Wikipedia page um, screwed with like like 20 freaking times. Somebody keeps messing with me. It's a rib. It's a friend of mine. So he changed my weight to 396. I've always was, I was always between 280. My heaviest was 317, probably about in 2017. I was I was power lifting. I was bench pressing 225 for anywhere on the combine on flat bench between 
routinely between 70 and 78 reps. And, you know, like I say, you've been all over the map. You've been with uh, Jersey Championship Wrestling, East Coast Professional Wrestling, uh, Tri-State Wrestling, Southwest Wrestling, Ultimate Championship Wrestling. I mean, you've been all over the place. Is there one of those promotions that you are more heartfelt towards than the others, or are they all equal footing? Well, East Coast Pro Wrestling was where I started at. So they gave me my break. So I always come back to them. And a lot of the young guys say, why do you keep coming back and working these shows with these guys? Like, I, I do it because, you know, I, I give back. It's, 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 you know, they give, the Gino Caruso books me everywhere. I mean, he's a great guy. He's a good friend, you know. So I, I do a lot of his shows, and I, and I love working for him. He's a really good friend, and he's one of the, the more honest promoters out there. You know, I mean, I, I love coming back to him. My favorite promotion to work for probably in the last few years was, Right at, right during and after COVID, with the resurgence of uh, Texas wrestling, SWE Fury and World and World Class came back. So that was probably my most famous run. I broke Action Jackson's arm, had a little bit of a big feud with uh, with Texas Legend Action Jackson, had some run-ins with the Boogeyman, and uh, you know a whole bunch of other people. You know, I mean, it was a, it was always a great time with Charlie Haas and uh, um, Charlie Haas, and I'm trying to think who else was on there. Mick Foley was on the shows. Uh, Freak. It was a great, great, great cast and crew. He had, always had a um, one of the biggest feuds in wrestling of that year. I think was uh, was Max Castellanos against Moonshine Mantel, and it was it was it, it, those two guys were two of the most phenomenal workers on the planet, and they just never got the credit that they deserved. You know, I mean, you know, they were doing stuff that I couldn't do 25 years ago. You know, and I've been wrestling for 28 years, 29 years actually. This April was 29 years. Andrew Anderson's our guest here on 89.1 Kens FM, and I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. He's a, he's a resident wrestler. Uh, he goes by the modern Nightmare Matthias, and uh, I believe that he said that uh, he would like to have a match with you when you uh, for your last match ever. He would like to do that honor for you and uh, be his last match so he can get one well, more listen, victory. I don't know if, I'd be, I don't know if he, he'd do the honor, but I have to do the honor for him because if I go out in my last match, I'm going out on my back, buddy. Well, there you go. So, Matthias, you got, a, you got an easy victory. What do you got for our guest? Go ahead. Well, yes, you are talking to the man from every woman's greatest dream and every man's worst nightmare, North Dakota's number one heel, current reigning, defending, undisputed APW World Heavyweight Champion, and soon-to-be EWI Epic Champion and BZW World Tag Team Champion. Matthias here, welcome on to my part of the program. As a fellow wrestler... How um, are you, pal? Oh, I'm not doing too bad about yourself. I'm good, buddy. I'm good. Just uh, recovering from a little bout of COVID and flu that I had three weeks ago, but I'm doing great. Well, I'm glad you're recovering. So my main question for you to be as a fellow wrestler, you know, a lot of people will go out there in this... And they'll ask you, like, they ask any any athlete, like, who is your hero? And somebody will answer, you know, their father or a specific person they looked up to going into the business or whatever the case. Who would you say is your true hero? Well, I don't have just one per se. I would say I have maybe a handful. Maybe I have, I have, maybe, I, I always say I have 10 guys that I really, really grew up watching that I really, really loved. And I always loved Ric Flair. I thought Ric Flair was the greatest of all time, you know? Ric Flair, oh, yeah. Jimmy Snooker, 
and I had the pleasure and the honor. And they say never meet meet up with your idols and everything. And I met up with them all, but Jimmy was an absolute angel and 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 a wonderful human being. And I don't care. He was much maligned over the years since that whole vice thing and and the the the, the murder trial opened up. But Jimmy was Jimmy was just to me. He was he was pops. You know, he was pops. Um, I always worshipped the ground of Bruiser Brody, and I happen to be very good friends with Bruiser Brody's widow. Barbara Goodish, who is, who, is, who is a very good friend of mine, and I call her mama because she always took care of me in the business, made sure I always have, she always had my back and made sure promoters treated me right. So that was always an honor to be close to her, and, 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 and it, it kind of gave me a connection with Frank when I didn't have that connection with Brody because it was before my time and he passed away before. Another person who I really look up to and loved, loved his work was Don Morocco, who I also had the pleasure and honor of calling friend and staying at his house in Sunset Beach on the North Shore in Hawaii, in the in the the late nineties in the late nineties and and uh, it was just a, a really great time to be with him. Um, Terry Funk, I love Terry Funk's work. There's nobody better than Terry Funk. Harley Race, superstar Billy Graham, decades of, uh, before his time, one of the best of the best. The Road Warriors, Animal and Hawk, Animal John, Joe Laurinaitis wound up becoming one of my best friends in the business up until the day he died. He left me a message about. About four, four, 14 hours before he passed away, he left me a message just telling me not to call him. He's on his, uh, he's on his um, 10th wedding anniversary, and uh, and it was just, uh, it was pretty much, you know, really that was a tough one to deal with. Um, also, Stan Hansen, love Stan Hansen. You know, I uh, had the pleasure of being friends with him over the years. And I, I, I would be amiss to say if I didn't if I didn't appreciate Hulk Hogan, you know. I mean, when I was growing up in the business, uh, uh, growing up watching the business, um, I didn't I didn't appreciate Hogan that much. I, w- I always looked at him as he's always going over on people, and you know. But but now watching back the charisma and meeting him and knowing him, he's just such a nice gentleman too, you know. I mean, uh, it's just it, to me there's so many people, and I think and 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 I, the list can go on and on. I think the greatest tag team of all time. Is, is definitely Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson, two of the, the, the greatest technicians of all time. You know, uh, it just without question, there was no better. Natural, they were just so natural. I mean, I love Gino Hernandez and and uh, and Chris Adams. I mean, I love tag teams like that, the Von Erichs, the Freebirds. Oh my God, I love the Freebirds. I'm friends with Miranda Gordy. You know, um, Terry's Terry's daughter. I mean, she's she's a second generation athlete. I mean, there's just so many people. You, I, the Road Warriors, I, I, I and the Steiners. You know. I'm friends with Scotty and Rick, and I mean, it's just I had so many matches with Scotty over the years, you know. I mean, it's just, I me and Vader, me and Vader had many matches in uh, in, in Oklahoma and uh, and in Arkansas and in Texas with uh, with uh, the Steiners. Me and Vader against the Steiners, you know. I mean, it was just always a, a great match, a great, great feud going on there. So, not to mention my matches with Vader or my matches with with with, with Scotty. I was the idiot who liked to get suplexed all over the place, dropped on his head, you know. In hindsight, I don't look at look at it as being too smart, but you know. Okay, and then um, have you ever had a situation during a match where, you know, it's somebody that you like didn't really care to work with or something like that, and you're just like, and you actually had to like shoot on somebody? Has it ever gotten close to that, or has it been pretty? It's uh, gotten close a few times. It's gotten a few close a few times. Um, one of the guys that that I really didn't like, and I'm gonna just say his. I'm gonna tell, I'm gonna say what his name was. His uh, wrestling name, I'm not going to say his actual name, but I'll say he used to call himself the future. And he came into East Coast Pro Wrestling, and he, he was all jacked up, muscle head, couldn't worth, wrestle worth spit, and he came telling everybody trying to – he had a very bad ego. He got thrown out of office school, you know, basically muscled out of office school and, and Samu um, because he was a moron. And uh, I, to this day, I never, never appreciated this guy. 
you know, and uh, he got in a couple times to me. I had to put him over, and you know, and I'm putting him over, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, well, this is what we're going to do. I'm I'm a, I'm a veteran. You're not. And he's about four or five years in the business, and I'm about, at the time, 15. And he's telling me what I'm going to do. And I said, listen, you're getting the match. You're getting the, the win. I'm getting the match, pal. Listen to me. Listen to what I'm telling. You know, I'm the heel. You follow me. And he couldn't get it. He just couldn't grasp it. He couldn't grasp it. Wow. Yeah, like I, I've, I've actually been lucky enough to not have a situation like that yet. But, you know, there's always there always comes a time where it's a possibility. Always protect yourself, Matthias. How many years have you been working, pal? Ten years. I've been in the business for ten about ten years. years so, now. so you're officially you're officially a veteran. I always tell the boys after ten years you're a veteran. So after ten years, and that's and and I usually say I use that term lightly, veteran, because when I wrestle, I would wrestle on a on a, on a Monday. Uh, we would do jobs either for WWE or somebody else on a Monday, on and and would wrestle for for then would do uh go and do uh, uh shows on on a Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So we do do in the summertime. We do the fair shows, fairgrounds. We do sometimes a double shot, you know, from one carnival to the next. Travel everywhere or, or, or travel to Europe and do a shit uh, a, a, a bunch of shows. I'll say instead of what I was gonna say. So, but uh, uh, a bunch of shows in Europe. You know, you do you one in the afternoon, one at night in Germany and Dusseldorf, Germany. Next day you're in Heidelberg. Next day you're in Berlin. You know, then you're in Amsterdam. You know, so it was it was a lot of tours. You know, I mean. I mean, so you, you got uh, for a ten year. When I was a ten year vet, I was already I wrestled six to seven times a week. You know, it was a different time. It wasn't like the territories where they would wrestle fourteen or eighteen times in a week. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. I mean, they'd wrestle two days, two two uh, twice a day, every day, three times on Saturday and Sunday. You know, so um, absolutely. I, I mean, absolutely. It was, it was, it was different. So even Greg Valentine, who was, a, who, who was one of my mentors in the business, a lot of people, we worked an angle for years that he was my father. So he, he'd call me son. And Deborah McMichael used to say, used to call me dribbles. She'd say, a little bit of Greg dribbled out somewhere. So Deborah used to call me dribbles. So, um, but Greg used to always say, you know, he goes, he goes, you know, you guys, all you kids, you know, you, you think you're veterans, you think you've done this, but you don't know a squat because you haven't worked. 14 to 18 times a week. You guys are lucky you're working seven times a week, maybe 10, you know? And he said back then it was all driving, not flying, you know? And, you know, you, the rings weren't as cushy, you know? Uh, it was, and you, and you were married to someone nine out of 10 times on the road. You were married to that guy. You'd wrestle him every night. And it was, for us, it was different. You're wrestling an indie guy. You don't know if he's been trained. You don't know what. Now there are no squash matches. Everybody wants to have a Monday Night Raw match or a, or a SmackDown match, you know what I'm saying? So... I mean, Absolutely. I mean, I I can't I I I'm I'm limited in my capacity now as far as you know I can't do any really crazy freaking moves after 29 years of being 55 years old. But I go out there and I still give the best of my ability. You know, I'm so I'm still I still look you know like a, like a professional wrestler when I'm walking down the street, and you have a, a take pull off 15 20 indie guys and have them walk down the street right after me, and they ask the person to check off who was the pro wrestler in the lineup. They'll check me off before they do anybody else. Absolutely. So, absolutely. And the other thing too was that I was taught by Kevin Sullivan, who also I, I'm I, Kevin Sullivan is my manager, my mentor, and my best friend right now. And uh, he's been for 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 the past past twenty years. And Kevin Kevin told me years ago that if you ever went out, you have gotten to a freaking fight, you have to win that fight because you're protecting the business. He said not so much now like you did back then. But you know, he said you have to win that fight. Kevin, Kevin never lost a fight, you know. So, no. but uh, 
you know, it was it was a different time. And I I was born I was born at a time where a lot of people say um, Kevin Don Morocco, even even Bob Orton, they always say that I'm a man out of my time. I should have been I sh- if I was born ten years early, I would have been working Hogan at the Garden or Flair at the Omni every night. You know, they were like you were just just out, out of your time. You know, your look was more old school. Your 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 ability was 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 old school. You were more of a brawler like. Stan Hansen and Brody and Hogan, you know, I mean, I never, I, I was never a technical wrestler, but I could go, I could go, I always could go, but I, I never had to. That's the point because I was always big and, you know, muscular and, 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 and had to do things on my own. I mean, I got fat there for a while, you know, when I started powerlifting, I got that big powerlifted belly, but I could still move, you know? Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Yeah, like, I, um, the, the, the oldest wrestler I've ever wrestled in my life so far has been Ricky Morton. And, um, oh man, phenomenal, right? Just, yeah, just to have him, well, like, because we wrestled in a tag match, and for him to come down, you know, and, and give me his perspective on things, like, because where I saw was that we were trying to build a story, and he had a kind of a different perspective, but, you know, mm-hmm. I always try to look for a critique in every match that I do, especially with the people that, because I've wrestled a lot of people that are under me, but I've also wrestled a lot of people that have been in the business longer than me. So every time I've ever person that I've been in the business for 10 years or 15 or 20 or 30, I always get everyone's perspective from that, my opponent, just to compare as to what I have. And just to hear them say, like, man, you've got that kind of talent. Because I've, I've been told I'm kind of like a MJF, uh, a younger MJF. Mm-hmm. Or not, well, I'm older than him. I've been compared to, like, MJF because apparently I'm really good on the mic. And I just got that kind of brash, cocky talent, according to some people, and that's always just been my favorite compliment, is when you're compared to a great heel. You're smart and you're wiser, and you're very wise for your years when you say that you're one of the guys that was respectful of the older guys, and I like that because a lot of the younger guys don't really respect a lot of the older guys like myself. They don't really respect us. I notice that a lot in the locker room. They look at you like – you're taking that spot, or why don't you give it up for why don't you give it up for a younger guy? You know, and I just did that on Friday. I mean, I I have no problem doing that. But a lot of people, a lot of the younger guys in the business, they don't want to get critiqued, or if they do get critiqued, it's because they watched that person growing up, or they, you know, or, or they are respectful of the business. But for the most part, I noticed that a lot of the younger guys really don't 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 really have that in this generation of wrestlers. You obviously you you've been in the business ten years. You 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 cut your teeth at a time when you remember a lot of the older guys that are still out there and active now. And I appreciate that, you know, and I like that. You know, like me and Tony Atlas were talking about that today. He's got young guys, he's got in the ring, and they say, this is what we're going to do. And Tony goes, well, listen here, boy, this is not what we're doing, you know. So we were talking, exactly. me and Tony had, um, had a lot of heart-to-heart. Andrew Anderson's our guest here on 89.1 Ken's FM. We've got about uh, 10 minutes left here with the man. Now, you uh, have done a few other things I want to talk about besides wrestling. One of the things yes. I'm kind of I was kind of cool about that I want to talk to you about is uh let me ask you what is it like going after Batman? Oh, it was really cool, man. It was really cool. I mean, it's it's Gotham was a lot of fun. I got killed by uh by the Catwoman Selina. She killed me in uh in in Gotham, but I I never died. Um I took 50 bumps in Gotham getting sh- uh taking bumps by a uh, by a uh, uh Selina blasting me uh Selina Kyle shooting me up and she took the actually no actually Selena didn't kill Tabitha killed me Selena that one was first time with the whip she used her whip for the first time pulled my double uh, sort of shotgun double double barrel sort of shotgun out of my hand with the whip and and uh, Tabitha shot me four times but when she shot me every time I would do the take through the takes I was taking this big back bump on concrete with nothing but a leather jacket and a little bit of padding in my back 
and I was taking this big back pump, maybe 40, 48 times. <clears throat> the last two takes, I still got a little bit of that cold cough left. You know, they say it could last. But the last two takes of that were they had me shot. They decided they want, wanted to bring me back. So they had me bounce off the side of a 57 Chevy after my back was already shot. And I'd slide down with a little bit of blood, which was added on CGI later, because they used to use squibs in a lot of movies. But now they CGI a lot of the stuff. But um, that was cool. So they kept me alive to bring me back. But the season ended, the next season ended while I was, uh, my body was being uh, turned a lot, turned on by uh, Zax, Dr. Zax, into a, a, a morgue in a Arkham Asylum. So it never really got put out. The season ended, uh, season five. So, you know, yeah. but that was one of the things in the business that, that is, uh, you know, it just happens like anything else, you know. But I got to tell you, um, it was really cool because, um, a lot of my scenes, one of the scenes that I did was I killed uh, one of the guys in the, of the fellow, fellow bikers. I put his face under, I, I ne- pulled him down with another biker. We put his face under a peeling tire while the, the, the demon biker revved up the engine and we blew his face out. It's a really gory scene, which was pretty cool for, uh, for Fox yeah. television. So, you know. Wow. So, and then, uh, uh, we of have- course. We have uh, Mr. Anderson as our guest here, and Andrew Anderson is our guest here on 89.1 Ken's FM. we got about uh, five or six minutes here left with our buddy here. Now, I'm just kind of curious, for those of you who listen to our show on a regular basis, if you go to Attitude Era, Monday Live Monday, you like that page. You go to 89.1 Ken's FM page, you like that. You do a don- $10 a month donation power of the tower. We'll get you, autogra- uh, we'll get you qualified to win an autograph from past guest Kurt gets her future guest. Uh, Mr. Anderson, would you be willing to send us a few for giveaways, sir? Whatever you need, man. Whatever you guys need, I'll send you send you some uh, eight by tens, and I'll send you some uh, some trading cards. All right, cool. I will send you the uh, information plus the link for tonight's show uh, to uh, Facebook Messenger. But I'm also kind of curious now. The reason why I'm going to ask about this is because you were in it. I like to ask uh, a lot of wrestlers what they thought of the movie, and everybody has loved it. I don't think there's been anybody that's ever had anything bad to say about it. But you were in the movie The Wrestler. Uh, what was yeah. your take uh, on, did you like it just because you were in it, or did you not like it at all? Did you think it was a bad it portrayal? It paralleled my life in many ways. Um, my relationship with my daughters, um, my my oldest daughter, it, it parallels a lot of things. And, uh, you know, it's about a wrestler in his twilight. Now I could see, uh, I can understand the movie a lot more, with a lot more clarity than I did then. A lot of the boys say it brought wrestling in a bad light. I disagree. Um, it actually, you know, opened up a lot of eyes. The business that the business is a lot tougher on people and their bodies. And you know, you try to keep yourself relevant. The movie was all about relevancy. And um, it was Mickey Rourke's character, Randy Graham, was trying to be a relative. I had I had the opportunity to play myself in the movie, which was pretty damn cool. It opened up a lot of doors for me. Um, got me into the Screen Actors Guild. Got me instantly. I got a I got a Skittles commercial, National Skittles commercial. Uh, don't suplex the rainbow, taste the rainbow. Got a Doritos commercial, Super Bowl commercial out of it. Uh, power bomb. Um, wound up doing a lot of things from it. Um, you know, uh, pharmaceutical commercials, um, beer commercials, and stuff like that, and print ads and modeling things. Yes, yes. Yeah, I was a 300, 280 pound model. So I got a lot of things out of it, so which was really cool, and uh, it opened up a lot of doors, and uh, it was just really, really, really cool. Um, and 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 I had a great alumni in that movie. You know, Ernest the Cat Miller has become a really good friend of mine. I love him dearly, and uh, you know, I mean, it was 
he's just such a good dude. And, you know, I love Ernest. And uh, Mickey was always nice to me. He was nothing but nice to me. And Darren Aronofsky, man, that guy was one of the nicest guys I've ever met. He, he helped my career so much, and I appreciate him in many ways, you know. So, I mean, I always, I always play it off, um, having the monopoly as a star of the movie, the wrestler. But as a heel, you do stuff like that. But there were a lot of people who would get bent out of shape that were in the movie, didn't even have lines, and they were all, you know, kind of PO'd about it, you know. And, you know, I'm not going to say their names, but I know where they're from. <laughs> they know who they are, and they uh, always malign me because of it. Because I took that, but you know what, I did it like anything else in the wrestling business. I took the ball and ran with it. You know, I was ready to retire in 2008. I had a torn up knee, had knee surgery, and I was ready to be done with it. And that breathed new life to me. It got me back in the ring, got me back in shape. And, um, you know, I dropped like 35, 40 pounds after the knee surgery. I got blew up during it, and then I came back better than ever, you know. And uh, and then uh, my acting career pro- progressed from there, you know. I got on Gotham, and uh, now I'm on another uh, – I can't say what it is until it's released, but I'm on a, a Disney Plus series coming out. So – um, and it's just a, a lot of good stuff is happening because of it. So I'm the current Florida heavyweight champion, CWF Championship Wrestling for Florida, the legacy title, the same belt that was held by Dusty Rhodes, Eddie Graham, Mike Graham, uh, Barry Windham, uh, uh, Black Bart, um, uh, um, who else? Uh, uh, Cowboy Ron Bass, and, um, you know, Kendall Windham, and, you know, just the list goes on and on. I mean, it was just, just really cool to have that. Dory Funk had it. Um, Harley had the Florida belt, everybody. It was just really cool. And I have that actual belt and I'm the Florida heavyweight champion. So right now we're, we're bringing it back. Um, it stalled a little bit, but I've been defending that belt at every, uh, show pretty much that, that would allow me to defend the title. I'm also working for a great promotion out of Florida, CCW, Coastal Championship Wrestling, one of the best promoters out in the business, Nelio Costa Cuomo. Great guy. Love working for him. And, uh, Gangrel is the head trainer of the school and I love working with them down in Florida. And, uh, you know, working with him and then also working with, uh, like, these little companies that work up, like Warrior Professional Wrestling and, um, um, you know, uh, Southern Tier Wrestling up in New- upstate New York, um, a- a Gulf State Wrestling out of Louisiana, you know, and, and just all these companies, that just it's just great to work for these people. And I just got the opportunity to work for the longest and oldest wrestling company on the planet uh, where Bruiser Brody and uh, ring announcer Larry Matisic got their start with Herb Simmons's. SICW, Southern Illinois Championship Wrestling. Kevin Sullivan and I went out there and we raised hell. And uh, we beat the crap out of Flash, Flash Flanagan. And uh, at one point we covered him and we did something very, very, um, very, very risque. You know, we covered him in lighter flu. We were going to set him on fire until the referee stopped us, you know. So it was a really, really provocative angle. And I got a lot of hate mail and death threats, you know. It was a bloody match. And, you know, we're going to take it to another level. You know, there is, there is one way that you could have uh, avoided the death threats and everything. All you had to do was say that Vince Russo booked the show, and that would have got you off the hook. Yeah, yeah, right. That's that's funny. That's funny. <laughs> uh, we have uh, Mr. Anderson as our guest here, and I'll tell you what, sir. I I just love you very much, and uh, we we only have five I minutes left with you. I wish I wish it was five more years, but and hopefully we can have you on again at some point. But I'm gonna I'm gonna close with this. So we first, so we can do this here. If our fans want to check you out and see you, you got a Facebook, an Instagram, a YouTube, a Twitter, or a Twitch, a hacked uh, Wikipedia. What do you got? I think I'll go to at Drew the Wrestler for uh, for uh, Instagram, um, Twitter. Uh, I don't even know my Twitter page. I think it's Andrew the Reinforcer. I think it's Andrew the Reinforcer is my my Instagram. Um, at Drew the Wrestler is Twitter. I think one or the other. Um, Facebook is the reinforcer Andrew Anderson. Also, Andrew Anderson is uh, as another page as Andrew Anderson. Um, 
you could tell which ones are, are mine and which ones are the fan page. The Reinforcer is one of the fan pages. The other fan page has my good friend Ace Frehley from Kiss on it with me. That's my personal page. Um, I'm also Ace Frehley's bodyguard. I'm his, I go on tour with him often. I couldn't go on tour with him for the West Coast shows this past uh, this past February because I had the, I caught COVID. Uh, but I've been touring a lot with Ace, and uh, it's really cool to be you know when you meet a lot of your idols and they become your friends. And I've been friends with Ace for a long time. And then to you know he asked me to cover for some of his bodyguards, and we just wanted clicking off, hitting off, and clicking together and it's really cool. So, you know, but uh, it's a lot easier bumps, you know, but still fans can be crazy. Kiss fans are, are rabid and there can be some really freaks out there, really bad freaks. So it's, there's always a, you got to keep your eyes open, <clears throat> you know, protect your uh, client, <coughs> protect your client, you know. Uh, Andrew's, uh, Andrew's one one yes, we got, we got about uh, three minutes left with uh, uh, Andrew. Now, with the last name Anderson, how many people have came up and said, so are you related to Arn and Tully and all those? Oh, every, everybody. Initially, initially as a Siberian Tiger, I wrestled as a Siberian Tiger, but um, Mike Nova, uh, Mikey Nova, uh, Hollywood Supernova, Mike Bucci came up to me one time after a Jersey Championship Wrestling show. Jersey Championship Wrestling um, had a show, and he came up to me and said, listen, the Cold War is dead. Nikolai's not over like he used to be. He goes, why don't you look like an Anderson? Why don't you just, you know, come out as an Anderson? And they were like, you should do that. So I want to become, an, you know, myself, Andrew Anderson. And uh, I, I teamed with, uh, I teamed a lot with, uh, with, with, with a lot of other guys. And, and uh, you know, afterwards, like with, with Kevin Sullivan a lot, I teamed a lot with, um, with, with a lot of the heels, um, in the business over the years, but it was never, you never could duplicate what Arn and Tully had, you know what I'm saying? And, and the skill there was just, they were just such a great team. So, um, but um, it, it was really cool because, I mean, I got Oli's blessing. I got, I got everybody's blessing. I never really got Arn's blessing, but I got Oli's blessing. I got Lars's blessing. You know, Gene Anderson was long gone. And, uh, you know, Kevin Sullivan's been trying to get um, me to do something with Brock and Arn before I retire, which would be pretty cool. You know, um, I got Tully's blessing, you know, so it's pretty cool. You know, Tully Blanchard is a really cool friend of mine, too. So J.J. Dillon gave me his blessing. J.J. Uh, Dillon said there would be no Anderson. You can't have an Anderson without a Dillon, and, and that was years ago, and he wanted to manage me on some indie shows. And I've been tight with, with, with uh, J.J., uh, James Morrison, J.J. Dillon, and his wife and his daughter, Pam, uh, for years, um, and they're really good friends. And it's really cool the friends, the friendships, and the bonds that I made in this business. And uh, yeah, a lot of fans come up and say you related to Arn, you related to Oli. I worked the angle, you know. Yeah, I'm Oli's nephew, you know. So we worked the angle, but yeah, no relation, no relation, you know. It sells a few more pictures, you know what I'm saying? You, you can't. Some guy comes up to me in, in, in Alabama. Are you akin to the Anderson family? You akin to that Anderson clan? Well, yes, sir. Well, I'm gonna buy one for my kid, each kid, twenty dollars to ching, twenty dollars to ching. Kid had you know a bunch of kids. Not only you know he had those, those, the, the whole big family. So you know walked away with a with a good payday. But yeah, no, so it's pretty cool. You know, pretty cool being an Anderson. You know, and uh, Crowbar actually, Crowbar came up and and said instead of calling yourself the Enforcer, call yourself the Reinforcer. And that was in uh, 1999, 1998, 1998 or 97. He said call yourself the Reinforcer. So. Because that guy in well, WCW that was used the the reinforcer gimmick wasn't wrestling anymore from the the, the young younger generation talent that was fighting the millionaires from Nearest Club, whatever it was. I forgot what the guy's name was. 
Well, with that being said, there, uh, I thank you, Double A, for being with us tonight. You are awesome, and I'm sorry that uh, uh, Granny Holster couldn't be with us. She's on temporary assignment, uh, assignment this week and next week. Uh, she was looking forward to talking to you, so she wanted us to uh, send you her love, and uh, we will book Brother, you on again. Brother, there's always next time. Her. We'll definitely do that, time. man. We love you, man. Thank you for being with us. You are awesome. Thank you, sir, Buddy, for being with uh, uh, nice you, that my you friend. Are. Thank you. I don't consider myself a legend. I consider myself just a, a worker that's been blessed to be in this business. You know, I said to myself years ago, if I couldn't make wrestling, make money from or a career from professional wrestling, I'll make a career because of it. And I have, and you know, I, I I've raised I've raised some great children because of this. And uh, you know, it's 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 a pretty cool business to be involved in. And Matthias, I wish you the best, and hope I get that match with you someday. Bring it on, man. I'm, excuse me. Bring it on, man. I'm always willing to fight. Well. Tell your promoter down there to book it and defend your title against me. Let's see where you got the stones to do it. All right, I'll see you in Wisconsin. And I'll tell you what, uh, Mr. Anderson, I'll, I'll be in your corner to help you out. I'll tell you what, we got to go. Uh, we got our next guest waiting in the wings. Thank you, Mr. Anderson. You are awesome. Thank you, sir. God bless, buddy. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. All right, uh, Andrew Anderson, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a quick little commercial break here. We'll be back after these messages, so stick with us. 89.1 Ken's FM is proud to announce that we're bringing the production of a feature film to Fargo. It will be a film made, premiered, and financed in Fargo, and a Fargo cast. For a $500 investment, you'll get a producer credit in the film, and on IMDb, CD, poster, and a premiere tickets as well. And for a $1,000 investment, you get an executive producer credit, access to the film set, CD, poster, and premiere tickets, and a 3% film revenue. We are initially auditioning for three women to play 18 to 24. They must be physically fit, willing to be covered in blood and other special effects. Acting experience is not required. A headshot or a non-filtered picture of yourself and a phone number can be sent to bloodletting underscore productions at outlook.com. All emails of interest must be in by March 21st, 2023. Once again, that's bloodletting underscore productions at outlook.com. And that is the film that me and Matthias are going to be on. And if you like being covered in blood, uh, go ahead, make that donation, get involved in the picture. Plus, you get to meet me, you get to meet Matthias, and that is a bonus. But, ladies and gentlemen, stepping out of the green room right now, walking down the aisle, he is the greatest author of his time today, and he's going to tell us all about angels from heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the man himself. He is Jesse Peter. Hey, hello there. How are you doing? Good, man. Is that the best introduction you ever had or what? No, that is really the best introduction I've ever had. I, I can't really recall ever having a better one than that. Well, there you go. You, you just, you just uh, enhanced my ego. But anyway, uh, here's what we're going to do here, uh, Jesse. Uh, if you want to give us a little background about yourself, and then we will uh, have some fun with the interview here. And uh, then we'll talk about your book. Sure. Well, you see, I, I, I was born in San Diego, California, and of course, I grew up in San Diego area, mostly in Alcohol. I had six sisters, one brother, 
And then again, uh, I was just uh, bringing up, being brought up, I should say, as a normal child, living an everyday life and having a wonderful lifestyle. And then I guess, you know, at the age of 10, I was uh, playing baseball. So when I uh, was playing baseball at age 10, uh, I was up at bat one time, and then I was really hitting the head hard with a baseball from the pitcher, not intentionally, of course, but again, what happened at that time is I was knocked out and I was taken to a hospital. When I was taken to the hospital, then they just released me and said it was really nothing but a, well, hematoma, injury, small. Then two days later, I had a grand mal seizure. When I had a grand mal seizure, then what happened is uh, I fell out of bed. I was just laying there and didn't really understand what was happening. But then two days later, I had another grand mal seizure, and that was more or less the start in the history of a horrific and horrible lifestyle of epilepsy. So once I started uh, having... And you know, these grand mal seizures that was determined that I had epilepsy. Mm-hmm. Is, is that what they is that what they called it back then? Was uh, grand mal seizures instead of epso- uh, epilepsy, or was, they did not know that you had epilepsy? Epile- I can't even say that word. Ep- they did not know you had epilepsy. Epilepsy. Yeah, that word. <laughs> no. Yeah, epilepsy is just a, is a sort of the central nervous system, and it's not really you know something you can really detect. Uh, uh, it has to be done with more, uh, I guess, modernization. The way it is today, it's easy to be done with uh, an echocephalogram. And then what happened is uh, once I came down with epilepsy, my life just started changing entirely. And then grand mal seizures are well, the result of having epilepsy, which means that they have minor ones, which are psychomotor, and then there's petty mal, which is a little bit, worse than uh, psychomotor, but grand mal is the most severe. And when you have grand mal seizures, you know, you become unconscious, you start shaking and jittering, you can swallow your tongue, you can you can hit your head against the brick walls, you can hit your head against the cement, the floor, and you easily kill yourself. Um, many victims, I should say, of epilepsy do end up dying. But probably the worst part about having epilepsy is you never know when a seizure is going to be coming on, and you never know what's going to happen with your life. That's why people with epilepsy, in a sense, many cases, I should say, that are not under control, then they cannot drive a vehicle. They, they cannot, they're prohibited from doing a lot of things. Um, back in the 60s and the 70s, people would not even hire people if they knew that they had epilepsy. So we would sometimes hide it, even though that was discriminatory, you know, well, we had to take our medications to hopefully control the seizures, but it was a, a total nightmare that I had to go through for over all those years. I spent most of my life as a child and a teenager, midstream in hospitals and institutions, uh, because the seizures were so horrific, they just wouldn't stop. And then eventually what will happen is when it doesn't stop, you're going to end up having... Technically, it's called epileptic brain death, which means that you're going to die from too many seizures and your body will just start not function anymore and you're going to be dead from having too many grand mal seizures. Now, with, so, you, with being having epilepsy, and then I'm going to ask a few more questions and we'll go over to Matthias. With, with having epilepsy, 
now you obviously had to did, did you always have to wear like a helmet and uh what not because of that no, not necessarily because uh, that was not a requirement, of course, and nobody's going to be really wanting to wear helmets. But what would ha- what happened in my case, because my seizures became so severe uh, when I was released from many different hospitals because they couldn't figure out the right medications to give me to stop the seizures, is that they, uh, I was referred to go to Camarillo State Mental Hospital even though I was not mentally retarded, it's basically a hospital for people that are technically insane or they're going into mental retardation. But the reason that they put me there was because they had padded rooms, meaning they were padded from ceiling to wall to the roof. And the padded rooms, which means that that's why they put me there, is if I was going to have a grand mal seizures consistently like I was doing, then the padded pads in the side of the room will prevent me from killing myself because I'm knocking my head against padded uh, pads, I should say, inside of the room. So that's why I was put into Camarillo, because if the seizures did continue, then of course, I wouldn't be killing, it'd be unlikely that I would be killing myself in that manner because I'd be hitting myself against a pad instead of the really brick wall that was there but I was locked up there for like six months and then from there again everything got changed and for the worse I just wanted to come home and live a normal life but uh, my family then moved to Hawaii and living with six sisters and and two and one brother I should say is you know a wonderful place to be living in Hawaii but then when I I lived there for two years and had to come back because there's other deficiencies that that uh, will reappear from epilepsy, which I became emotionally disturbed. And then when I became emotionally disturbed, it was like I was being a totally different person in society and I had to have my behavioral patterns change. So I was put in Lakeside Lodge in Elsinore, California, and I stayed there for two years. And then after being released from there for two years, I came back home to live with the family. But after living with the family for many years uh, prior to that, it was not the same because my parents divorced and I had lived with my father. When I lived with my father, then my epilepsy seizures, I should say, started coming back and the grand mal seizures came again. They became worse. And it was only a matter of time, doctors telling my parents that your son has an estimated two to three months to live. Oh, man, that's Because you terrible. can't keep having grand mal, yeah, you can't have grand mal seizures and continue to keep living. We have uh, Jesse Fielder is our guest here on 89.1 Ken's FM, and we have, uh, well, we have about uh, 28 minutes here with Jesse, give or take. Uh, I'm going to introduce you to uh I'm going to introduce you to uh, my co-host here, and then we'll uh, come back and talk about your book. But, uh, Matthias, I know you've been listening over there. What do you have for our guest? Go ahead. Well, excuse me. Yes, you're talking to the man from every woman's greatest dream and every man's worst nightmare, North Dakota's number one heel, current reigning, defending, undisputed APW World Heavyweight Champion, and soon-to-be EWI Epic and BZW World Tag Team Champion, Matthias here. Um, 
just hearing from your from like your uh, personal struggles and stuff like that. I mean, I just gotta say that that's I mean for you to be able to keep on keeping on and stuff like that. It's just trying to keep as positive of an attitude as you have been throughout this entire time. That's uh, that's definitely remarkable. Um, <clears throat> so I guess my main question to you would be since we're talking about you writing a book. What was your one of your main inspirations to become an author? I mean, going through all of this and stuff like that, what made you want to become an author? Well, what happened is that, that my life was really nothing but uh, chaotic, where I just didn't really even have a life to live anymore. And then what happened when I was going through this horrific time period from all the way from childhood all the way up until the age of uh, 23 uh, my seizure really became worse and then what happened my mother decided to take me to a ch to church one time <laughs> where I was going to church I said I didn't want to go to church because uh, I was just living in basically walking the streets doing nothing with my life had nothing to do and <laughs> my life was just walking the streets maybe collecting Coke bottles, looking for coins, because I was living on disability income at that time, $267 a month. And uh, what happened with there is when I started attending church, uh, everything started to change. It took a, a 380-degree angle or turnaround, I mean, and then my life became worth living after a period of time even though I was still afraid. very You live a life of fear, I should say, when you have epilepsy that's as severe as mine was because you don't know when your next seizure is going to happen and it doesn't allow you to really go to many places, like a movie, a church, or anywhere. Or I was asked to leave a couple of restaurants and we don't allow epileptics in here because I did have a seizure there. And then when I went to church... And I started going to, I don't know, it was called Carden Grove Community Church at that time, which was later on known as the Crystal Cathedral in Garden Grove, California. It's the big, big church of Dr. Schuler. Everything started changing. And just to kind of give you a summation of what really happened <clears throat> over the period of time I can't I really it's been a 45 year journey for me but just to saying it I'm I get very very emotional because it, I reflect back on the times what what I had to go through and you know I, I sometimes can't talk because I start crying because but anyway what happened is um my last seizure that I've had in my life <laughs> Was it, excuse me. Was in at the Crystal Cathedral in Garden Grove, California, and that was 1977. I've never had a seizure in 45 years since I attended oh, church, wow. and there is no cure for epilepsy. Epilepsy does not have a cure, and what happened at that time is totally a miracle from where I am now to what I've accomplished and what I've done in life is when I turn my life over to becoming a Christian, I turned it over to God. My life totally changed. 
And I was a street walker at the time, antisocial, basically still having seizures at the time, had nothing to do with life, didn't even know basically what reality was. I had no job, no experience, no education, no social no social at all, life at all. And it all changed over that period of time. And that's then I decided to write a book later on in my life because of what was accomplished over the period of time, 45 years. That's a, I can't really condense all of that because there's too much of it. But I, mean, I went to school in London, England, and I went to school on living on disability income alone, and that was not easy. <laughs> but yeah, what I really yeah what I really wanted to do in life is the things that I had accomplished. I wanted to travel. I wanted to work in the motion picture industry. I wanted to go to school and graduate. Of course, it's hard to go to school because you can't drive to the school. So I had to walk over 12 miles a day just to get to school, and. I had no idea what what I was even doing in school because I knew nothing about anything because my life prior to that was nothing but isolation, no friends, and nothing to do but having seizures. So it was like coming from the dark into the light. And uh, uh, this is, so many things. Yeah. Jesse mm-hmm. Peters, our guest here on 89.1 Kansas FM. Uh, you, got a, you got another question? No, I was just... That was just okay. complimenting or commenting. Well, I'll tell you what. We're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about your book it's called Angels from Heaven: My Miraculous Cure from uh, Epilepsy, and we're gonna talk about that. We will we'll, we'll kind of talk a little bit about the book, but before we do that, I need to take a quick little time out here, and I will uh, we'll be back after we hear these messages. Uh, so stay with us. You're listening to 89.1 Ken's FM, KNNZ-FM, Holly, Fargo-Moorhead. Independent public radio for Fargo-Moorhead and the Valley. Also on the web at www.kensfm.com. And we have uh, Jesse back with us. And we're going to talk a little bit about your book. Now, what's interesting about your book, the first thing, it it's, was almost released a year, uh, well, actually uh, almost a year ago, uh, April 8th of 2022, we're, we're about a month away from the anniversary. How has the reception been for your book since you released it? Oh, my gosh, I couldn't, I couldn't really believe it myself on the, the results that I've been getting. Um, uh, it's, it's really remarkable because I've had many, many comments, but just to give you a few, I've, had, I get, I've re- received uh, in letters, I've received cards, etc., uh, one that I received, there was about two months ago that I received a card, and so I started reading your book. And then when I was starting reading your book, I just couldn't put it down. I had to finish it that same day because it was so good. And I've, re- you know, I've received uh, one, one of the, another miracle that really took place was when I, I was trying to get on the 700 Club, which is CBN. Right. And it's very difficult to get on there without a good story. And... What happened there is that they wanted medical records to prove, to verify my story. Uh, just to uh, summarize that, what would happen is hospitals do not keep medical records for that length of time because that was a long, long time ago. And sure enough, another miracle happened. There was one hospital, which was in Loma Linda, California, 
They verified the information. They, they found my medical, medical records with my perseverance. And I said, I'm not going to give up. And sure enough, what happened is they, they found my medical records. I, got, I sent them on to the 700 Club, CBN. And then what happened is I decided to send my book along with it. And they contacted me back and said, we'd like to have you, have you on the program. <laughs> On the program, well, you know, which I, was, I, I uh, guess I can, yeah. I, I guess I can understand why they would, you know, want uh, to, you know, to prove that your story is true and everything. Mm-hmm. But here's one interesting thing that I'm sure that that doesn't make any sense. Why would someone be dishonest about an issue they have? That can you see what? That's I'm, a very can, good point. You understand what I mean? I mean. I mean, you're not just going to want to, you know, you wrote a book. You're not just going to want to go on TV and say, hey, I have epilepsy. This had, this had me, this had me. And by the way, I just made this all up. I mean, what, <laughs> that just doesn't seem logical to me that they would think that you'd be making this up. No, it was it was kind of a surprise to me, too. But then again, I, I just followed with the rules and it didn't bother me because I ended up getting on the show and they told me why they wanted me on the show also it's because when i i sent the medical records but it was be, it was because i sent my book with it they read the book after they read the book then they said they wanted me on the show and then what happened is that even after the show i received another uh, uh it was a direct letter i should say from cbn and it said that something. It said not to exact wording, but it said we had never had anyone on our show that has recovered from epilepsy. You were the first, and I hope that you will be inspiring others throughout the world to never give up on life and to have faith in God. Because again, it was just a miracle that this all happened, and the miracles that took place. That's why I called my book "Angels from Heaven." Because, and it's my miraculous cure from epilepsy, because there is no cure for epilepsy. But the cure that I received was from up above, and it was being sent, I was being sent angels from heaven. And that's what my book is all about, is how I encountered my situation. I'm not referring to, like, angels flying from heaven. I'm referring to people that actually I met totally out of the blue, that did so many miraculous things for me that got me out of my situation where I was in to where I am now. And it's like an example. I was uh, going to college. I, I had no idea what college even was, but I was 23 when I started. And, of course, going to college with brain damage from epilepsy, it's not easy. It took me eight years to get a four-year degree my first semester of college, I completed one unit. <laughs> I had one withdrawal, one incomplete, and I completed uh, one for unit. But did I give up? No. No, I, well, I never you know, gave I, up. Well, you know, I'll tell you, I, I'm, I'm trying not to get emotional here because it is kind of emotional listening to your story. But uh, for those of you who listen to our show on a regular basis, if you go to 89.1 Ken's FM, you like that. You go to Attitude Era, Monday Live Monday, Facebook page, you like that. Do a $10 month donation, Power Tower. We'll get you automatically qualified to win an autograph from past guest, current guest, or future guest. Now, I can understand if you're unable to do this, 
but would you be willing to send us a few autographs for giveaways? Because I know that there would be people oh. that would just love to uh, to donate just to uh, be able to read your story. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I want others to to get something spiritually out of my book and to basically help others because I, I'm a member of the American Epilepsy Society also, and I've given many lectures and seminars, I should say, in regards to what I've done over my period of time. And if I can help others, I could care less about profitability from a book because, again, that's what my goal is. The miracles that took place in my life because I was disabled for life and not expected to live. I mean, I I tried to commit suicide many times because I couldn't take it no more. But but I, 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 I just wouldn't give up. And then I fulfilled what I wanted to do in life, and I wanted to work in the motion picture industry. You know, that's going to be kind of difficult for a person with epilepsy that is not expected to live for for two months. And sure enough, I ended up getting a bachelor's degree in communications. And how I got into the motion picture industry is a a total miracle from the way I got in. Uh, We don't have enough time for me to go through it in detail, but I write everything in my book on how I worked. I worked on the Golden Girls. It's a living one big family, Saved by the Bell, the Love Boat, Dallas. I could keep on going. But I've been to, I've been on the red carpet uh, with the stars. I, I've been all over the world traveling. I mean, that's not 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 a very bad lifestyle for a person that was living on disability and waiting to die, that became suicidal when that was going through a major disability. So again, well, you know what, life should that never be said, taken. Mm-hmm. With that being said, you know you you know you wanted to get in the film industry, and I'll tell you what that is an impressive list of shows that you've been on. So here's my question for you: This mm-hmm. looks like a great, this looks like a great book, and I, I I haven't read it yet. And if you'd be willing to send a few copies, I'll read it before we before I give it away. But I mean, it's 151 pages of a miracle a story, a passionate story told by you. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's 170, but that's okay. <laughs> okay, 170 pages. Is this a book that you'd like to eventually see turned into a movie about you? Well, that's my, <laughs> that's my, 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 uh, my other goal that, that's already in the making. Oh, they are making <laughs> I, I've movie got about a, it. Yes, it's, I, I got a what was called a pitch a producer option, and then I took the pitch a producer option and I submitted it to Voyage Media, and then I've also received, uh, I have what's called an interview. I don't, it's, it's an interview with the producer that's going to be writing a, a script, I should say, and then they're basically going to submit it to many different production companies, and uh, it's... It's no doubt that in my mind, I should say that it's going it's going to be done because it, and it's not going to be done because it it definitely will be done because if one company says no, two companies say no, hundred companies say no, then I'm going to keep on going to a hundred and one. That's how I got my book published, and that's how I got into the motion picture industry in a very very creative way. I wouldn't take no for an answer. And so, I'll tell you yes, what. I'm that in is- the, <laughs> 
that is yeah. what is inspiring to, about uh, about your story. Now, let me ask you this: mm-hmm. it, you have the we have the we have the drive to get this done here for you, and I I cannot wait to watch this beca- uh, to make, see this become uh, get turned into a movie. When it does, couple questions: mm-hmm. Would you be willing to come back on with us and talk about it when they release it? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And my other question is, who do you want to have play you? Well, I thought about that. Uh, actually, um, I, I was my favorite, I guess, Christian actress, that I should say that I always love watching is Dean Cain. <laughs> uh, he'd have to play me as a an adult, I should say, if he played me at all. But uh, the younger generation, when I was a kid, um, I guess I didn't be, I really don't know very many younger young actors that would be, but it, but I'm anybody that's uh, I just should say connected with also the Kendrick brothers. The Kendrick brothers are, are two pastors that have made many movies. Um, I even contacted them myself regarding my book, but they don't accept outside books. They do it their own. That's the ones who made Facing the Giants, uh, Courage. Uh, they made many, many movies, like Kirk Cameron has played in their movies. Um, it's, a, it's a remarkable, I, I don't know any younger younger stars that would be, um, I guess, eligible for that role. But, you know, if you did, did I have an interview with, the C, with uh, CBN. There's two, two guys there that did, did play me already because I've been on, right now I've been on 12, television stations and I've been on 14 radio stations already so that's why yes there you go now you know I I thought about you know I thought about a a cool individual that would be great to play you and I now don't take this wrong way but I think Ben Stiller would be a perfect person to play you or even uh Jim Carrey, because they they can play serious roles as well. I think they'd be perfect to play this. Yeah, that would be fine with me. That'd be great. Yeah, um, I've seen both of their m- movies uh, with many. I should say many of their movies between both actors. Yeah, that's I, awesome. I'd I'd love for have either one of them play it. Yeah, that'd be great. So if our fans wanted to uh, check you out and uh, find the book and buy the book and check you out, you got a Facebook, an Instagram, a YouTube, a Twitter, a Twitch, a TikTok. What do you got? All of it, really. My my website, I should say that you can easily go on to that and see everything. is It's uh, Angels from Heaven, and it's dot site, S-I-T-E. That's... Uh, my my um, web web address, I should say, that you would see my website there. Of course, I'm on YouTube. I'm I'm on uh, CBN 700 Club. I'm on Quava Productions. I'm on a lot of them, but uh, you can probably get most of that information on the website. You, know, you can easily purchase the book on AngelsFromHeaven.site, or you can just go directly to Amazon, and the uh, name of the book is Angels from Heaven, but it's My Miraculous Cure from Epilepsy. It's in Kindle, it's in Standard Book, and it's also an audio book. 
So and also, I guess you probably there's uh, uh, Peter's our guest here on 89.1 Kids FM. We just got about we got about three minutes here left with Jesse. One thing I do want to thank you for, Jesse, is coming on with us and sharing your story. I know, I, I know it's a heart wrenching story, and I know it's difficult to talk about. And mm-hmm. your courage is enough to to tell everybody. And I'm I'm getting emotional here. I'm sorry, but your your courage and your emotion and your just your story, the way that you tell it and the way you talk about it is empowering to a lot of people to show that, hey, they may say that you're this, they may say that you're that, you'll never do this, you'll never do that, but don't ever take no for an answer. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Somebody says that you can't do anything, well, that's a negativity, and that's not true at all because anything is possible with God and anything is possible within yourself. Don't always listen to others because you stay around positive people and listen to positive people, you'll end up a positive person. That's why I always, you know, I have mentors myself, Helen Keller. She was deaf, dumb, blind. She'll never make it in life is what she was told. And she ended up having a master's degree being that way. So again, Walt Disney, if you can dream it, you can do it. You know, Vince Lombard, a quitter never wins, and a winner never quits. See? Well, I'll tell you so what, those are a lot of just, positive. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we, we, we only got about 60 seconds. First off, I want to thank you okay. for joining us tonight. You are so wonderful, sir, and I cannot wait uh, to get your book. And if you don't mind, I am going to read it before I uh, – give it away but most importantly i want to thank you for being a friend and thank you for being on the show and we will definitely have you on with us again you are amazing sir thank you very much well i want to thank you so much for having me and god bless you and god bless all the listeners to your program and i thank you for what you're doing all right thank you jesse and i sent that information on where to send the autographs i appreciate it, sir thank you very much thank you so much too Good night. All right. That was Jesse, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, hey we, we got a big uh, blockbuster party line coming up here in a second, uh, but we need to take a quick little timeout uh, from one of our new sponsors, and we'll be back after these messages. So stick with us. So you're outside looking at that ticking time bomb of snow on your roof. A phone call to Elevated Concrete and Snow Removal will solve that problem. They can be reached at 701-866-9018 or at Elevated Concrete and Snow Removal on Facebook. Their concrete work includes driveways, sidewalks, walkways, approaches, garage floors, patios, and shed pads. Plus, they offer decorative or stamped concrete as well. And all estimates are free. Once winter is over, they are ready for any concrete project you have. Elevated Concrete and Snow Removal at 701-866-9018. All right. Thank you for our new sponsor, Elevated Snow Removal. Hey, we're supposed to be getting some more snow here in North Dakota uh, which, you know, everybody's like wondering, do you guys, does it ever stop snowing in North Dakota? No, it doesn't. We have four seasons here. We have winter, flood, road construction, and football. But anyway, hey, Matthias, you on the mic there? Yep. Usually what uh, we do is, well, usually I, 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 
what we're going to do with this interview is going to be kind of different. I, you and I are both going to be on at the same time with this. Because uh, remember, I there, there was a challenge that you and Ken gave me last week to try and get a uh, a spot in uh, a movie, and I'm going to work on. I'm not going to do it right away, but and I'm not going to let anybody know when I'm going to try it either. But this is going to be awesome. Uh, we have a friend of the show. His name is Scott Hand, and he's got a movie out which we, he would call his baby called The Black Tent, and he's brought some of his friends with uh, with him tonight. And we're going to bring them on in a second. I know you guys can listen. Uh, I know you guys can hear me. Uh, we're going to bring them on here in just a little bit. And uh, I believe they're all assembled, possibly. Uh, but first off, uh, if Scott, are you there? I am. I'm here. All right. Uh, let's see. I'm going to, just so we can introduce everybody, I'm going to give the last four digits of your phone number, and then you can uh, introduce yourself. 1524, who we got? Hey, this is Steve Wallet. You're listening to the Attitude Era Monday, live Monday on 89.1 Ken's FM with your host, the icon, the big swing, the godmother of wrestling, Granny Hawkster, and the modern nightmare, Matthias. All right, call number 2056. Who we got? Hi, this is Max DeBille. You're listening to the Attitude Era Monday Live Monday on 89.1 Ken's FM with your host, the icon, the big swing, the godmother of wrestling, Granny Hulkster, and the modern nightmare, Matthias. 0390, who we got? This is Scott Hand. You're listening to The Attitude, Era Monday, live Monday on 89.1 Ken's FM with your hosts, the icon, the big swing, the godmother of wrestling, Granny Hulkster, and the modern nightmare, Matthias. And last but not least, 3801, who we got? Hey, this is Cameron Ramirez. You're listening to the Attitude Era Monday Live Monday on 89.1 Ken's FM with your host, the icon, the big swing, the godmother of wrestling, Granny Hulkster, and the modern nightmare Matthias. That is awesome. So how is everybody? Let's let's get into this. Uh, Matthias, are you ready for this little party line we got going on here? Yep. All right. So here's how we're going to do this here. Uh, I'm going to, uh, Scott, we'll start with you, and we'll talk about the movie. And then uh, you can uh, we can talk about uh, to the others on what they're doing in the movie, uh, their character, and all that. So, Scott, tell us about the movie and how you came up with it. Well, it starts about five years ago. I had completed my first short film, Lost in the Night, and I was actually just looking to do a secondary uh, short film. So my mentor, the late Jim DeMuse, and I were – uh, having our usual get-togethers. And we were batting around ideas, and the idea for a carnival movie came up and a magician. So as I was kind of like figuring out a story for this, Jim would sit there with a black sketch pad, and he would start drawing images. And he would say, how about this? How about that? What do you think of this? What do you think of that? And I'd look, and sometimes I'd really be like, oh, my God, wait a minute. Let me think about this. You know, and I'd look and i think, you know what, I can use this. I have an idea. It was just, he would just draw like a scene, you know, and then I would actually at that point have to take it and figure out the character, the scene, how it connects and everything else. 
you know, because, you know, when you're writing a script, it's, you're kind of like, it's like a puzzle almost, you know, you're kind of figuring out point A, point B, and, you know, you got to get to point Z. So, but it was going to be a short film, and then as I was developing it, and I knew I wanted to make it a monster movie, because I like monster movies, okay? Um, so I was taking a lot of notes, and then we were really kind of, sometimes we were actually butting heads a little bit. He, he really didn't want it to be a monster movie, and so I kind of was like on and off with it, and then finally, I had just been stewing on it for so long. It had been almost a year at that point. I looked at the notes, my notebook, and I said, you know, I'm just ready to write this script. And I sat down, and I hammered it out in, like, record time. I had a first draft. It was, like, you know, like 97 pages or so. It was pretty complete, you know, but I, it wasn't quite there. It's a first draft, you know. But that's how it started, and then, you know, if that, you know then I just, just kind of kept at it. I wanted it to be my second movie. I'm glad that it wasn't, you know. I'm glad that, you know, I uh, went ahead and made my uh, – other feature film, which we are very close to final cut on, called Lycaean. In fact, Matt Stabile was actually one of my actors in Lycaean, and will be returning for the Black Tent. Um, everybody else, um, you know, Stephen Cameron will be working with me for the first time on the Black Tent. Now, we uh, with everybody that's uh, else on the line here. Who? Uh, let's start with one five two four. What is your role in the movie? Well, I'm the line producer for the film, so I'm the guy that's organizing the budget and making sure that all the money is going to the right places. I'm also uh, helping Scott by bringing a load of experience from other films, so he's able to draw on me for that experience. All right, 2056. Hey, it's Matt. Uh, Yeah, you know, I'm not exactly sure. I just told Scott to give me the best role that's in the film and that's what he's done um no I'm, I'm just kidding i think i'm playing a father of one of the bigger actors i'm not too sure yet and uh 3801 it's cameron i am the production designer for the movie so i handle the visuals the sets things like that keeping it really beautiful and then i'm also a supporting role in the movie so with that being said now I know you guys, I know that Scott is your boss, technically. Well, he, he's a director, he owns the film, but what is your, and we'll go in the line here, starting with 1524, what is your favorite part about working for Scott and working with Scott? Well, Scott has a vast amount of knowledge about film and film history, and because of that knowledge, he brings something to the table you don't see with a lot of filmmakers today. I mean, most filmmakers today, they're looking at like the MCU, and they're just trying to make something that's flashy and big. What Scott does is he brings to the table stories, and stories that have great visual appeal. I mean, I can sit there and listen to him talk all day long about his vision of the way things are going to be, because I can totally picture it. All right, 2056, same question. Yeah, yeah, Scott knows exactly what he wants. Um so if you're, you know, you're trying and trying, eventually he will just just put it out there to where it ends up just being perfect. Because um, I was kind of a novice uh, in his last film, like Kay, and and uh, he just knows how to act. You know, even though he, you know, is the the main guy, you know, the director, producer, and all that, he can act. It's pretty interesting, and he's just a, he's a he's a nice guy to work with. And uh, 3801, same question. 
It's definitely the passion for me. Um, Scott loves movies. We talk about that all the time. It's like he sees it as another world. So now he's creating his own and uh, I get to be a part of it. And yeah, like, like you all mentioned too, he's just a really sweet guy too. You know, and uh, with, with that being said, you know, of course I love his name, Scott, and I, and I do love Scott uh, because of a lot of other stuff. And uh, I'm going to appeal to his kind nature here before we're done. And I know that our listeners and I know that uh, everybody else knows what that might mean. We'll, we'll keep that under wraps for a second. But Matthias, what do you got? Go ahead, man. Well, um, I guess, I mean, Icon likes to take all the questions away, so I was kind of shocked. Um, but uh, anyway, you are talking to the man from every woman's greatest dream and every man's worst nightmare, North Dakota's number one heel, current reigning, defending, undisputed APW World Heavyweight Champion and soon-to-be EWI Epic and BZW World Tag Team Champion, Matthias here. Welcome hey. on to my part of the program. Hey, Scott, you need an ego maniac on the set? I was going to say that, uh, is that part of the resume? <laughs> I mean, that is part of the resume because that's oh, cool. going to be a prediction. But anyway, it's not a prediction. It's going to be a spoiler. But anyway. Um, speaking of spoilers, what do you got in the bag? Oh, that's uh, some old Chipotle burrito I grabbed before the oh, show. Okay. Uh, I got it. Never over there. Never been over there. <laughs> well, really good stuff. You guys, we are on the air here. So anyway, anyway, sorry, uh, sorry. Sorry. So, I, 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 I'm sorry. <laughs> so my main question for you guys would be, what is uh what got you guys into the world of cinema cinematography and being a part of movies and stuff like that? What made you guys want to do something like this? Because I have a degree in communications and I've always liked to make videos on my phone or or you know I've been I've worked in a couple of small films myself in my uh, in previous years. And stuff like that. So what got you guys into this kind of stuff? And you can't say because you want to be on this show because that'd be too easy. Um, for me, it goes way back to when my aunt took me to uh, see Moonraker. Uh, once I had seen that in the theater as a young boy, uh, that was it. I got really into it heavy. At that point, I started to, even at that very, very young age, um, I actually started to really get into the news to watch them over and over again, to study actors and actresses. Uh, their movements, their uh, basically uh, their marks, things like that, action scenes, uh, not realizing at the time it was choreography. You know, I got really interested in that very young, and it was something that my oldest friends that uh, know me, if they're listening to the show, are probably nodding their heads saying, yes, we remember quite well. Um, and it went from there into high school, and uh, after I had finished college, I began taking courses uh, to be a screenwriter, and this was back in the early 1990s. And after I had my first telephone interview with Anthony Hickox, a British filmmaker who at the time uh, was in post-production for Warlock the Armageddon, uh, when I had that phone call with him, I knew I wanted to write and direct movies, and it was just a matter of finding the means and the resources to make them. You know, it took a long time, but uh, I'm there now. Okay. That's awesome. Uh, how about uh, uh, Carmen? What uh, what's your answer to that? I don't think your mic's um, on. So for so for me, can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, for me, I told my mom that I wanted to live in the TV when I was like 
five because I was mad at her. Um, and uh, then I went to school for, for fine art and just got into painting and everything like that, sculpture. So um, I saw it be a really good transition, you know, studying fine art into creating sets for movies. And I think it's like the most uh, attainable form of artwork uh, in this world is is movies. You know, everybody watches movies. So that's why I'm falling in love with it right now. And I believe, uh, who, who hadn't we heard from yet? Go ahead. All right. Um, this is Steve. And, well, for me, I got cancer in 2002. And it was, uh, I was told that I had a 99.6% chance of dying from it. As you can see, it's still alive. And during that time, I met a guy named Tony Robbins. And sitting there and talking with him, he made me realize that I was just wasting my life, you know, wishing for things, not actually doing anything. So I decided I was going to get movies and start writing books and making video games. And I just started doing all this stuff. And now, years later, I've been involved in over 200 productions and I got a dozen books published and a dozen video games published. I think that he gave me the right advice and got me started. Uh, you guys, we do have a caller. Uh, let's see who this is. Uh, caller 3225, what do you got? Do you got a question for our uh, our panel? No, actually, it's Nadia Steele, and you guys asked me to give you a call today. Well, hey, hey, you guys, you, you guys, uh, Matthias, you remember <laughs> Nadia Steele, right? Sure do. Now, uh, we all know who she is. Yeah, for those of you guys who don't know, Nadia... Uh, is that a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> well, no, that's a, that's a good thing. I, I want you to stick around here until the end, because uh, if you remember last week, if you remember last week, we talked about, uh, you know, how someone should act on the set and this and that, and uh, you said if you and I were ever on the set together, I could run up and give you a mm-hmm. hug and give me a kiss and all that. So by the time yeah. this show is done... Mm-hmm. I'm going to have you lose that bet. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But now, Scott, okay. let's go back to you. Scott, let's go back to you. And then uh, we're, we're going to have a little fun here. Uh, but uh, before we do that, we've got to take a quick little commercial break, and we'll be back after these messages from one of our sponsors, so stick with us. As you know, 89.1 Ken's FM is funded through donations by our listeners and sponsorships from area businesses. If your business would like to sponsor Ken's FM and reach thousands of young adults and college students every day, contact us at 218-585-3067 or at info at kensfm.com. Any one of us can help you get your sponsorship started. We have many packages available to fit your budget. So contact us today at 218-585-3067 or at info at kensfm.com. And thanks for listening to 89.1 Ken's FM. And we are back on 89.1 Ken's FM. For those of you who listen to our show on a regular basis, you can go to our Facebook page, Attitude Era, Monday Live Monday. You like that. You go to 89.1 Ken's FM page, like that. Do a $10 a month donation to Pile of the Tower. We'll get you an autographed picture of a past guest, current guest, or future guest. Now, I hate to ask the entire panel here, but uh, would you guys be willing to do that if I, uh, if I sent Scott the information to send us some autographs for giveaways, maybe a couple pictures or whatnot? I still got to send you sure. mine. I got to get them out for you tomorrow. I got them ready. Okay. All right. And I know Nadia's going to send hers. I, I, I would really like to get an autograph from Steve. Yeah, I can get something over to you. And uh, uh, Carmine, uh, Cameron, sorry, uh, how about you? 
Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, what, what I'm kind of curious, Scott. We'll, we'll go back to this. Uh, as a matter of fact, we got uh, we got a whole. Don't uh, Matt. Scott, don't overlook Matt Stabile. He's going to be a big actor. He's got two movies there. You might want to get some pictures and autographs from him. Well, I was well. You, you, you just you just ruined my. I was gonna. I I I knew I was able to get the other guys, but I was gonna bag him. I thought I'd have to bag him for that. So okay, so Matt, uh, I guess I don't have to bag. Would you be willing to send a few? <laughs> of course. Listen, listen. I I'll, I'll do whatever you like. I'll send the best picture I have of myself, and I'll sign it. Absolutely. All right. So now we have uh, we have Scott Hand and. Uh, we have a whole group of uh, members from the production, the Black Tent. Now, here's what here's what I, I'm I'm interested about, uh, Scott. Now, you said it's not a it's not a monster movie, it's not a horror movie, uh, it, but it is a based in a carnival. So, if you could, I know it's your I know it's your own thing, but what would you compare it to if there is a comparison to a movie like yours? Hmm, that's tough because I, I am. It is a monster movie. It definitely is a monster movie. I love that. Um, and it's it's we're, we're hardcore horror, Scott. I mean, it's it's going to be a lot of gore in here. Uh, that much I can tell you. It's going to be a lot of bloody deaths in this movie. Um, it's 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 really going to be. Um, I would say, I would compare the visuals to a Tim Burton movie, German Expressionism. You know, like Sweeney Todd and. Um, if maybe even the, the you know the first uh, the Batman and Batman Returns those kind of looks you know but with more of a carnival you know very dark though I'm going to be going with a lot of different colors with this one you're going to be seeing it's going to be very colorful but it's going to have that that German expressionism it's definitely going to have that Tim Burton look to it so now but you know you mentioned it's going to be uh, you know it's going to be a bloody film but it's not going to be like a slasher film right. No, it's a monster movie, not a slasher film. Not a slasher. All right. Film. Now, Matthias, you you know you thought we we talked before about you liking slasher movies, but would you like monster movies? Well, I love all the uh, classic movies. I'm, I'm a big fan of a lot of movies, mm. but slashers just so happen to fall into my favorite genre. Just because I saw slashers growing up, it was one of my favorite genre films. So, but I mean, you never can go wrong with a monster movie or any of that kind of stuff. Like they got Godzilla or you got, you got, of course the old style ones like, uh, the mummy or Frankenstein or, you know, the blob or any of those kind of movies that, you know, you can always look back into like way back in the day. So those are always the classics. Well, with that being said, I know that I know this is going to be an awesome film and I have a way I'm going to, I have a way to make it even more awesome. We'll talk about it in a second. Because I know our fans are waiting for this to happen. Matthias is waiting for it to happen, and I know Ken is waiting for it to happen. They're, they're all they're they're all waiting for this to happen. So, but I'm not going to spring it on you yet. But you know, Scott, the last time you were on, we talked about independent films and the fact that you know they don't get the they don't get the hype like some, something like a, a Tom Cruise movie or a rock movie. You know, as an independent film, you know, you have to make your own money. You have to raise funds. You have to do your own production. You have to do your own this, do your own that. What is the most difficult part about that? Raising the money, of course. <laughs> That's the hardest part. 
you know it's you're you're constantly touching your vision you know it's not just the script itself and you know sometimes you're you know pitching to people that don't even want to read the script they just they just want to know the gist of it and get an idea of the visual you know so you know a lot of times you're just you know you just go out there and uh, you know cross your fingers and toes and everything else and just you know hope it works out now you we we had uh, mentioned that uh you have your financial advisor I guess with us. What is your thought on raising money for an independent film? Uh, it's very difficult. It's almost like uh, going out on the corner with a cop and begging people to give you money. Except in this case, you have an idea and you're trying to convince them that your idea will make them money. Because otherwise, they're probably not going to give you anything, even if they like it. Yeah. So now let me ask you this. And I, I don't want to spend too much time on finance because I want, I want to talk more about the movie. But now you mentioned that, you know, you have to go out and you have to have someone invest in all this. When you, when you get uh, to a certain amount, do you have to, like, raise a certain amount before you can turn the cameras on, Scott? Or do you have to uh, just go ahead and film it and then try and sell it later? Well, I mean... Real, honestly, it would be wonderful to have a negative pickup option. I mean, that would be that would be great, you know. Um, but sometimes that doesn't always happen. Uh, you know, negative pickup option is no different than going out there making the movie and then uh, making the deal with the distributor. Where, you know, if they're investing, they believe in it enough, they say, okay, you go out there, you make the movie, bring it to us. Once we agree on everything, we will reimburse you everything you put out. Because at that point they take the picture. That's what the the Salkins did with the Superman the movie, you know, that the original movie. That's how that was done. You know, I think the original uh, batch of James Bond movies were done that way as well. You know, I mean, if you can make a negative pickup option, I mean, that's that's great. You know, if you can do. But we're not, you know, we're not running on million dollar budgets. I mean, you know, we're definitely ultra low budget. So. You know, it's um, yeah, it's a bit safer of an investment. I mean, obviously we don't have big names in this, but that doesn't mean we don't have great actors and actresses in this. We did have a table read, and I think everybody on the line that was there for the table read, uh, especially Nadia, you know, and Cameron, mm-hmm. and of course Steve, they will all tell you. Uh, I think the table read was really. Uh, I think it really gave everybody a, a really positive feel, of just you know how much power there was in this movie. You know, Nadia, with, with that being said, you know, I know that just one of the reasons why this is going to be a big success and it's going to be a big moneymaker is because you're in it. I mean, your, your, <laughs> eyes are, your eyes are worth a million dollars alone right there. And uh, we, we got about, uh, well, we got about, uh, we got about 20 minutes here left with you guys. Uh, and I'm going to spring this on you guys here shortly. This is going to be fun. I'm going to do whatever I have to do to make this happen. But, you know, anyway, so, Donnie, back to what I was saying. Uh, you know, like I said, your eyes alone would bring a million dollars to this picture, and the fact that you're involved in it. Does it take much convincing to be part of an independent film compared to some of the stuff you've done in the past? Oh, I, I've really, you know what? It's, it's one of those things where um, Scott had had saw me, and um, I'm not sure if he'd seen my reel beforehand or not, but he wound up picking me for the part that um, that I'm playing. So it's basically all about the director's uh, vision. Um, they already have in their mind who they want. So it really doesn't matter. Um, it really doesn't matter 
you know, who's auditioning, you know, um, it, it's basically the director's vision. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not really the right fit for every role, but, you know, thankfully Scott thought that I was the right fit for the one that he cast me in. And Scott, with that being said, uh, this is this is going to be an awesome film. When do you plan on wanting to start production or filming? Well, it would be wonderful to say like within the next month or so, but um, we're still working out a lot of bugs, so it's 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 still up in the air. Steve and I, we're still working on things. And how many uh, how many actors and actresses you plan on ha- casting in the film? I think there's something like in the script, Steve. I think we talked about this. What is there, 33 speaking roles? Am I right? I believe you're correct. Yeah, I think it's 33 speaking roles and then carnival movies. I mean, there's going to be some scenes where we're going to have some, obviously a lot of extras as well. And have you have you cast every role or are you still looking? Uh, the main roles are, are pretty much all cast because when you're doing these kind of movies, the main roles you want to get done right away. So that way, when you're going to investors and things like that, you can be showing them. And again, that's the visual perspective. So, you know, you can show them who is going to be playing the part. And if they have a demo reel like Nadia does, um, uh, Michelle Brown Houston did, uh, Annabelle Rayner did, you know, of course, Matt Stabile and I worked together before. The lead in the movie, Kevin Ebner, uh, was actually one of the leads in my last film, Like Cayenne. He was cast immediately because when I was shooting Like Cayenne, I knew I wanted to do Black Cat next, and I said to him, uh, I'd like to talk to you about my next picture about coming in and taking on the lead. So, yeah, so now, the, main roles, the, the main roles are cast, yes. So now with that being said then, you know, you never know how successful a film is going to be, you know, until you put it out. Like, for instance, uh, a good example of that, Big Trouble in Little China. It was mm-hmm. only in the theaters for two weeks, but then it found its cult following uh, when it got on VHS. Now, yes. I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen here. But wouldn't it be awesome though if you just like you have like a production budget of uh, this is just an estimate. Let's say you have a production budget of say ten thousand dollars, and then you put your film out, and next thing you know, you find out it's grossing thirty million dollars. That would oh, be yeah. the ultimate goal, correct? Absolutely, like Damien with Terrifier two right now, two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and it's up to what fourteen mm-hmm. million. And then with that also being said, now, if it's successful enough, would you plan on doing a sequel, or would you try and uh, do something like a, like a prequel if, it, you know, if it's got a lot of response and everybody's going for this? You know, you wouldn't want to just stop with one picture. Well, I'll tell you this. When we were shooting Light Cane and we were getting near the end of it, some of the production team was asking me about a Light Cane, too. I said no. One night I was going to go to sleep, and guess what? The whole story unfolded in my head. So I already have a treatment together for Light Cane, too. At this point, I could tell you this about Black Tent. When I had written the script and I turned it into my entertainment lawyer to read it over, he called me eventually to talk about things, and that was when he said, I just want to say this to you right now about this script. I smell franchise all over it, sequels, prequels, spinoffs, etc. So, anything's possible. Maybe even that uh, that movie of the week type possibility. So now, with with all with all the uh, the members that we have here, and I do appreciate you guys taking time out of your schedule to join us to be on our show here tonight. And I'll tell you what, our chat room is going absolutely crazy right now. This is just amazing. When you guys, when Scott approached you, 
Um, and we, we can go we can go individually, or you can just shout out your answer. Well, Scott approached you about this, and you know you've heard about his success and his other projects that you've done. You're like, this has got to be a home run, right, guys? Oh, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. I read it and I just um, I was blown away. And I know you yeah, can't. Uh, absolutely, I was going to say uh, when Scott first uh, started talking to me about this at uh, New Jersey HorrorCon. I was like, wow, this sounds like a great project. I really want to be part of this. And then several months later, we got to talk about it, and here we are making it. Well, with that, with, with all that being said, Scott, how long did it take you to, uh, to write the, the film, and when did you first come up with the idea for a Black Tent? First came up with the idea of the Black Tent back in January 2018, it was probably strewn over a period of about 10 months, uh, probably by October, around Halloween of that year. Um, I think I just had it sitting in the notebook, like just notes, but I had the whole thing mapped out, characters, act one, act two, act three. Um, I'm old school playwright, so I do it that way. And it was like middle of January 2019. I was just sitting there reading. I was like, you know, it's time. You know, I, I, I kind of knew this. So I just sat, I hammered it out within just a few days of the first draft. But I've written a few drafts since. I've only really done one major, like, page one rewrite, but now it's just a matter of, because I have so many wonderful actors and actresses in this, I'm just constantly polishing up the dialogue more and more to make them seem, I just want it to seem sharper. You know what I mean? I just want it to come off sharp. I mean, it's witty in parts. There's humor here and there. I mean, you know, when I was showing Matt Stabile a, a rough cut of YK, and he was, surprised at the humor in the movie and i said yeah but that's normally when i do movies this is what i do i, I they're not comedy but i do put humorous parts because i think when you're in very intense situations in life you're looking for something funny you're trying to make light of it so i think if you don't do that i think you, you lose a sense of realism you know and this movie's pretty hardcore it's a dark tale i mean i, I basically told everybody i consider this a grim fairy tale you know that is how i see this picture you know it's going to be very gothic in certain ways very dark in certain spots you know uh, the, whole crew of, the whole crew of the black tennis here with us we're on 89.1 tens fm and uh well we got about uh i got about uh 15 minutes you're left with the crew here now, one other thing I was going to ask Scott. Now, you got you basically got all the the major parts cast, and you have every you have all the major things filled out. Now you still need to get production people, camera operators, editors, costume people, what have you. Now, when you cast the film and you say that okay, you're going to be in this film, do you have to give a time frame on when you when you'll start filming or? Do you hand them the script to look it over? You're in the picture, and uh, I'll let you know when we start filming. Make a deal with them, and a lot like with this picture here, we we did have a rough shooting schedule for it, but yeah, this like I said, Steve and I are still working out bugs. I mean, this is a very complicated shoot. You know, it's going to be very different. It's going to be a very tight shoot as well. Um, you know, it's going to be some long hours, but uh, you know, we're only looking at uh, around maybe a 20 day schedule. So it's got to be done right because it's going to be it's like that's tight, you know, and um, you know it's going to be more table reads and uh, hopefully uh, at least one good rehearsal, you know, before we really get out there to shoot this thing. So 
Now, do you do you feel that um, you like having a a short filming schedule? You mentioned twenty days. Do you prefer having a short film schedule, get everything in in a quick timeout, or do you do you wish you had more time, like maybe thirty or sixty days, or do films not usually take that long to film anymore? <laughs> well, I'll tell you this one. My last picture, like, hey, and all right, we went over schedule on that one. Um, I ended up bringing it in under budget, even though we went over schedule. But when my editor and I went to start uh, looking at everything, we ended up shooting over 26 hours of footage. So it was, uh, you know, when you're dealing with that kind of thing, I think maybe the tight schedule for me is probably better, you know, because uh, I think the movie, you know, Black Tent's probably going to end up, it's going to be definitely, my theory is it's going to be well over two hours. I'm thinking about two hours and 15 minutes, you know. That's where my thoughts are with that one. You know, my other movie, like, and you know, we're looking at a running time of just over 90 minutes of that. I think it would probably end up being somewhere around like 93 when I'm done with it. Well, we we have about uh, 10 minutes here with uh, the cast and crew and the director of The Black Ten. Hey, Matthias, I know you're listening here, but I'll tell you what. Let, let, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and uh, try this here. See, uh, you know, Scott, uh, I like to. Well, I don't have as much of an ego as Matthias over there, but you know, I've always said that you I, call it an ego. I call it self confidence. Well, there you go. Uh, and your theme song is "Here's My Number, Call Me Maybe." But anyway, uh, guys, uh, you know, Scott, I. I am destined for stardom, you know, and I I think that I could probably bring a lot of good vibes and good stuff to your film here. You know, I would like to come work for you. I, I mean, if you put me in the film, not only will I come and carry your bags, I'll go I'll go across the street and get your cappuccino. Oh you know, <laughs> yeah, as long as as long as you throw some hot dogs at me and give me a place to sleep on the set, I mean, I, I would love to. Uh, I would love to come and uh, join you. So, what do you think? What do you think, Scott? Uh, well, what about Steve? Get, get me in this thing. Well, wait a minute now, Scott. What about Steve Waller? You got to carry his bags. His bags are heavier than mine, right, Steve? Now, come on. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a bad back man. I'll need my bags carried. I'll, I'll need massages. My feet need rubbing. Yeah, and well, hey, I, Scott, what about Nadia, your girlfriend over there? I mean, come on now. You're going to have to carry her on and off set. You're going to have to carry her bags for her. You're going to have to help her with her makeup. Right, Nadia? Oh, I mean, and nobody you know, wants to carry my bags. My bags come with a lot of boots. When I go to wrestling matches, nobody wants to touch my bags. Well, I'll tell you what. I am willing to do whatever I need to do to, to be in this picture. Uh, so what do you say that, uh, Scott, you, you, give me this, you give me the ultimate shot, okay? Uh, let, let's just go ahead. Give me the job right now. Give me a spot, and uh, you know uh, I will. I, not only uh, can I be a uh, driving force on the picture, with me being in the picture, I guarantee you, everybody's going to flock to the theaters to see this thing. Can I get that in writing? <laughs> yes. As a matter of fact, uh, hey, Steve, uh, I have got to get this in writing, Steve. Yeah, we we need something like that in writing. I mean, come on, it's uh, we we've already have our budget. It's pretty de- darn tight at the moment, and bringing on someone else this late in the game would be very difficult. Well, you mean to say you can't you can't afford a a spot for me to sleep on the set and a couple hot dogs? 
And that's well, what we hey, have to watch. Hey, Scott, it's Matt. Hey, listen, yeah, I got a big house. He can stay at my house. I'll get him some hot dogs. It'll be all right. All right. Well, I'll tell you uh, what. We, we have to think about that, Scott. Steve and I have to talk about that. Right, Steve? We have to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's We, we don't make any hiring decisions on the fly. I mean, that's something you'd have to go through the same process as anybody else applying for a job. Well, how do we well, – wait a minute. Wait, Scott, I've got a question for you now. Hold on. How do we know you can act? I'm on the show, am I not? <laughs> but are you but a character you or are you being yourself? Well, look, I'll tell you what. I, I, am, I am known here as the icon, and I'm pretty, I'm pretty well known here in uh, North Dakota. You can ask Matthias that. Am I right, Matthias? Well, you know, I guess we'll say you, you are pretty well known around the Fargo area for sure. I'll tell you what. Let, let's do this. I, 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 I'm, I'm not done with this. I, I'm not done begging and pleading. I, I'm going to be like Daffy Duck. You know, I'm still begging here. All right. <laughs> <laughs> let's do this. I'll tell you what. Scott, what are you doing next week? What day? Uh, next week, uh, next Monday, uh, which would be the uh, the 13th. What are you doing that night between 9 and 11 Central Standard Time? What, you want to get together again? Here's what we're going to do. I guarantee I'm going to uh, – I'm going to – whoever I had booked next week, I'm going to reschedule. All right? I'm going to have you come on the show. And I'm going to have you co-host with us because, uh, unfortunately, Granny's not going to be with us next week. Uh, she's on temporary assignment. I want you to come on the show next week and co-host. And I want you to bring some more of your friends with you, okay? And hopefully some cast members from the show. And we can take a poll with all the people that you bring with us. Should Icon be given a part of the film, yay or nay, and if they say yay, that's great. If they say nay, they're lying to you because they actually mean <laughs> yay. <laughs> Nadia, did you put him up to this? I did not put anybody up to anything. <laughs> She's lying. You know, I'll tell you what. I, I, I hate to uh, I hate to use this analogy, but I'm gonna be like one of those politicians that doesn't have anybody running against them. And I'm not gonna uh, I'm not gonna finish in second place. This is gonna get done next week. I mean, uh, don't go away, guys. I mean, we still got uh, we still got five minutes here with you guys. But next week, Scott, uh, will you will you take me up on my offer? Join us and co-host. That way, you can see what a great guy I am. You can see exactly how entertaining I am. You can see that you know, money. I smell money. With the icon, what, what do you what do you think? You, you, can you join us? <laughs> what do you think, guys? Should I do it? Should I join him? Um, yeah, you should do yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, do it. Uh, he, he's right. a good salesman. You're going to have to do it again, Scott. Absolutely. All right, all right, icon. I will I will come back and co-host with you next Monday night. And then how about this? We, I, I know that it's overwhelming that you're talking to an icon like myself, and I know that you, you know, you probably got to get on your, the phone with your attorneys and you know your financial people who's on with us right now. Uh, before you uh, go ahead and say, uh, you know, icon, we'll give you. Let's do this. By the end of next week's show, let's see if you, we can get you either a yay or a nay. How's that sound? 
All right. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, and Steve and I will talk about it during the week too, right, Steve? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Now, now, now Steve, what's your address? Where do I got to send the check? <laughs> I'm not going to give that out online. I'll send you an email. Okay. By All the right. Way, I'm going to ask you. I got a question. I got something in the mail from you today, Icon. Is this a check I got? Yeah. Um, cash it now before. Uh, um, uh, the check I gave you, I instead of paying Matthias for the month, uh, I decided to send his payment to you. I say money order, no less. Okay, all right. Well, at least you know it'll clear. <laughs> <laughs> I you know, think there's Nadia like, steals behind this, but okay. I'm not well, doing anything. I'm just, I'm well, just you know, worried that if, it, if, it, if, it, if Scott is. Part of the it is part of the team and everything, and he's part of the cast. Somehow, I'm, I'm, somehow, my name's going to get put in that contract with some stipulation in there. I have no clue. I'm a little nervous well, now. Well, no. Here's the deal, though. Scott's already part of it. You want the icon to be part of it. Okay. No, not Scott. You know what I mean. I've it's, it's been a very long day for me. So, and I right. am on. So. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you, that, that's, hey, I'll tell you what, we we got about uh, three minutes here before uh, we, we get kicked off the air here. Um, but I'll tell you what, this is going to be great. Next week, it's going to be, Matthias, you're going to be here, right? As always. And the icon's going to be here. We're going to have a guest co-host, Scott Hand, and we're going to give him a rousing, rending ovation, and I'm going to beg. I'm going to plead. By the end of that show, I am going to get in the picture. And, uh, uh, Matthias, you probably will, uh, you'll, you'll probably try and uh, beg to get in too, won't you? No. You know, I mean, normally when I, when I want to be part of something, they come to me. So if they want a six foot two, 260 pound guy that can fight somebody, make somebody fall in love, can do whatever the case may be, you know how to get a hold of me. So this is going to be, uh, we got about, uh, we got about, uh, well, we got about 90 seconds uh, left with you guys. Uh, Scott, real quick here, uh, you're going to be on uh, this week, but uh, I want everybody else to know, like, uh, Steve, if our fans want to check you out, how do they find you? You got Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, TikTok, what do you got? All the above, Furious Nerd Productions. All right. And um, 2056, what do you got? Uh, you can do my Instagram, uh, hashtag Avalon Realtor. 0930, what do you got? Well, you can look at the Black 10 2023 on Instagram. You can look at me, hand underscore Scott on Instagram, or... Marksman Entertainment LLC, or you can look me up on Facebook. And my new favorite, three eight zero one. What do you got? Um, you can follow me on Instagram at Cameron Ramirez. It's C A M R Y N. You can also follow me on TikTok at Cameron Makes Art. C A M R Y N. And then my website is CameronRamirez.com. And of course, Nadia. Besides having a, I don't want to be friends with Icon anymore. Page. What else do you got? <laughs> Everything that I have, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and my OnlyFans is all under Nadia Steele. All right, that's awesome. So I'll tell you what, next week, everybody, I want everybody to be front and center starting at 9 p.m. Central Standard Time on 89.1 Kens FM. Tune in. Will the icon be 
pushed into stardom or will be icon over and out. We'll see what happens. But I want to thank you guys for joining us tonight. And, uh, Scott, how many friends do you think you can bring with you next week? Um, I'm thinking maybe about five or six. All right. So I got not only do I have to impress you, I have to impress six other people to get them to vote uh, yay. And, and re- now, remember, as long as it's more yays than nays, we got a deal. All right. All right, this is going to be great. Are you sure you want to agree to this, Scott? What's that? Are you sure you want to agree to this? I don't know. We'll talk about that. (laughs) Steve and I have to discuss these things, Scott. But I will be on there with you with about six more people next Monday night. All right. I'll tell you what, that was a very good question. Now, I know, like I say, I know that, uh, you know, you got to think about it. Um, You you have a week to think about it, and then – I'm sure by the time that we hang up here in about uh, 60 seconds, you're like, you know, geez, I should have, I don't know why I'm stringing the guy along, you know. I mean, uh, I, I, I knew that he was going to be in the picture before I even wrote it. Uh, as a matter of fact, I saw the guy in my dreams. Uh, and, well, well, in this case, like, your nightmares, but whatever it is. Uh, I say I have an ego. I, no, I don't. I don't have an ego. Uh, I uh, I flourish it really well. I flaunt it. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll tell you what, guys. Thanks for joining us tonight. And uh, Scott, we'll see you uh, next week. I will get you the details on when to call in, and uh, bring some more of your friends with you. And everybody on the panel: one five two four two zero five six three eight zero one. And Nadia, of course, three two two five. Thank you guys for being there. And now remember. You guys got to help me out by chirping in Scott's ear and say, go ahead, give the kid a shot. <laughs> we gotcha. will. We will. Thank yes, you for having yes, me. Thank you. Awesome. <laughs> all right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you all next Take week. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Good night. Thank you. Bye. Oh, hey, um, that worked pretty good, didn't it? Well, like I said, we'll see what happens next week. What, you don't think I can do it? Uh, I don't know. You know, you you gotta you gotta push a little to see what you can get. I mean, you never know. Well, I'll tell you what. I uh, I I have some more tricks up my proverbial sleeve for next week, and I don't think our fans are going to want to miss this. This is going to be awesome. So anyway, uh, we have uh, we have about uh, well, we got about thirty seconds before our theme song hits. Uh, so next week, join Icon, the Modern Nightmare Matthias. And our special guest host, Scott Hand, as the icon, tries to break into Hollywood right here on 89.1 Ken's FM. And remember, it's not goodbye. It's just goodnight. And don't forget to tune in because we have it going on. You think you know me.